The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to This is Catholicism on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Jason Gordiano, and I'm joined by Father Philip L. Drucker. We are using the Harbs Catechism for this show. Please see the show notes to obtain a copy. We now continue the ninth article from last episode in the section on the Church and the form of her government. Question 6. What then is the Church even at the present time? Well, the Church is the Catholic Church. And so the Church, the Catholic Church, is the community of all those Christians upon earth who, by professing the same faith and by partaking of the same sacraments, are united under one common head, the Pope, as he is the successor of St. Peter, and under the bishops subjected to him as they are the successors of the other apostles. So the Church is... Catholics. It is those who follow the teachings of Christ and the doctrines of Christ as they were communicated to to men through the the preaching of the apostles. And this this definition that we just read from the, the catechism does bring up some some rather sticky points, I suppose, in our own day and age, uh, because it first it starts out by the community of all those Christians and. Nowadays, people will always tell you, oh, I'm a Christian, or are you a Christian? And <laughs> if we if we take what they mean by what the book says here, that right, right, right. can cause some very serious trouble. So the in the early days, the, the term Christian stood for those who believed in the doctrine of Christ and who professed the faith of Christ. And nowadays, unfortunately... Because the Protestants cannot claim the title of Catholic, they they cannot say that that they are all over the world and that they are the same. They've more or less tried to rob the Catholic Church of its of its title. So mm-hmm. the Catholic Church is the only truly Christian church, because the Catholic Church is the only church which accepts all of the teaching of Christ and all of the doctrines of Christ and the the teaching of the gospel and the precepts given by Christ. And when you are, as it were, dealing with God, and Christ obviously is God, to reject one of the things that he says is to deny everything because God is is truth itself. So to say that, well, in one little point, Christ was lying. He really didn't mean that uh, adultery is wrong, or he really didn't mean that, oh, I don't know, any, really anything at all that Protestants might tell you that is, oh, for instance, that you need to work out your salvation and you need to perform good works. He didn't really mean that, even though he said it in just so many words. 
So the what that does is it deny it destroys the the whole credibility of Christ is if if he can be wrong or mistaken or tell a lie in one point of doctrine that destroys his entire credibility. So to it's it's like saying, well, I always tell the truth except when I tell a lie, <laughs> and <laughs> that sort of destroys the the whole point of being truthful by saying, well, once in a while he tells a lie, even though it's mostly true. And so with human beings, unfortunately, that is often the case, is that no matter how much they strive to, there's always some mixture of untruth in in a purely human uh, atmosphere. But with Christ, as he is God, there can be no mixture of falsehood with, with the truth. So to have a a church that is truly Christian, it must believe and profess everything down to the, the smallest detail that Christ taught. And so it is only the Catholic Church which can truly claim the title of Christian, even though the Protestants in our own days tend to try to usurp it as, in a sense, as a way of making themselves look better, because they don't really want to tell people, well, we're the group of people who rejects some of what Christ said, but we take most of it. So they sort of call themselves Christians to to give themselves a, a better, to show themselves in a better light before people, which is really quite dishonest. <laughs> and then the other thing, which is slightly sticky in our own day, uh, we mentioned the one common head, the Pope, as the successor of St. Peter. And obviously in our own days, you are listening to a radio show which is put out by those who consider that the Sea of Rome and that the chair of St. Peter is currently vacant. So the, the, the question will often come up. You have, people will tell you, well, you claim to be Catholics, but how can you not follow the Pope? <laughs> and, and so that, that's something we should probably just mention here. I don't want to to go too much into it because that that could take us probably several years to go through altogether. But the the general idea is is that it all boils down to the the idea of Christ as truth and the idea that Christ as God taught the whatever is contained in in the gospel in sacred scripture. And so for a human being to change that and say, no, they don't say it in so many words, but they, by their their teaching, they say, essentially, that what Christ said in the gospel was wrong, we have a better solution now. And so those of the, the Novus Ordo and the post-Vatican II conciliar church cannot be held to be the, the true successors of St. Peter because they have abandoned everything that St. Peter stood for as the, the representative of Christ, and they have essentially turned around everything that the Church has taught all throughout the ages from the time of the Apostles and from Christ himself, and they have changed it. And so, like I was saying earlier with the Protestants, the, the whole idea of, well, Christ was wrong in a certain point, or th- this was really a mistake— and we now have the, the proper solution, that, that is against the, 
the whole credibility and why you would believe the Catholic religion in the first place is that you believe it because it's from God, and because it's from God, it must be true. And so with the, the Novus Ordo hierarchy and the post-conciliar uh, antipopes, they have presented the opposite of the teaching of Christ, and so it is it is obvious that they cannot be sent from Christ because they are directly contradicting him. And so because they are proposing false and erroneous and harmful doctrines to the church at large, they cannot be from Christ himself. So we say that they are anti-popes or they are not popes. And so the C is considered to be vacant, with the C being the the chair of St. Peter, the the successor of St. Peter. But at the same time, there, there are obviously many questions such as, well, if there's no pope now, how do we get a new pope and things like that. But one of the, the ways of solving the difficulty, as it were, was that the, the line of succession from St. Peter does in fact continue the the election of these horrible people to the chair does in fact take place, but they cannot be the successors of Peter. So when they die, or as in the case of uh, Ratzinger, they decide to resign, the election is essentially carried on to the next person. It, it's For Americans, it's, it's very similar to the idea of the election of the president. You have the president is elected in November, but he doesn't take office. He doesn't receive the power of ruling the United States until he's actually inaugurated in January. And with the most recent president of the United States, there was a concern that, well, perhaps he's not a valid, he's not a true American citizen. And the concern being that if he's not an American citizen, even if he were elected, he can't be the president because you have to be an American to be the president of the United States. So it's it's a very, I think, good analogy with the, the Vatican II antipopes is that, yes, they were elected by the Cardinal of the College of Cardinals, even John XXIII was elected by the College of Cardinals. And so, yes, he was elected, but in the case of uh, John the Twenty-Third, for instance, his uh, birth certificate, by analogy, was not in order. He w- was not Catholic, and so even though he was elected, and then that election truly did take place, he did not receive the authority from Christ to to govern the Church because he was lacking that that one essential point that is necessary to be a ruler of the Catholic Church, and that is to be a Catholic. It's not the same as baptism, where an atheist can baptize, as long as he has the intention of doing what the Church does. In order to rule the Church, you have to be Catholic. And so that, that is the, the problem with the post-Vatican II Novus Ordo hierarchy, is that they are not Catholic, so therefore they cannot rule the church. So not only when you speak to a Protestant do you have to contend with the Catholics aren't Christians sort of thing. Once you do explain 
actual Catholicism, you still have to go through the, by the way, uh, this anti-pope and everything you see, uh, that's not the Catholic religion. <laughs> yes, and, and that is, it's difficult for them to grasp at first because they, they, right off the bat, they think, well, you're just like Protestants, you, you deny everything that the quote-unquote pope says. And so that is a, a hurdle in a conversion is to first to realize, yes, this is the doctrine of Christ, this is the true church of Christ. And then once you, you realize that this is the true church of Christ, then you do have to overcome the, the hurdle that, well, right now we are missing the, the pope, the, the, the successor of St. Peter. But if one truly does understand and believe the doctrine, it becomes immediately evident that there is no way that these, these men could be the successors of St. Peter because of what they're teaching. And so, in a sense, the hurdle is very easy to overcome. It is only with perhaps the, the first impression that, that people may have, the first conversation that you might have with a Protestant, that that becomes sort of a hurdle for them to get over. But once they, they believe the, the doctrine of the Church, it is no longer a problem because it is a, a very logical conclusion which is immediately evident. Yes, and, uh, and we'll have to remember, uh, must believe and, and profess everything Christ taught as a, uh, something to share. <laughs> <laughs> Question number seven, was the church thus organized by the apostles? Yes, that, that is a, a sort of a logical flow from the previous question, which is what what is the church? And we discuss the, the organization and the hierarchy of the church. And so the question now is, did the apostles set this up? And the answer is no, that the, the church was organized in this way by Christ himself. And it was the apostles who were the instruments of of his will in setting up his church the way that he wanted it to be set up. And we, we mentioned earlier the vision of St. Peter before the, the baptism of Cornelius, where if St. Peter had been left to his own devices, he perhaps would have rejected Cornelius and not admitted him to the church. And so he received a vision which was a mandate from Christ to include the Gentiles in the Catholic Church. And so that that is an example of the direct influence of Christ in forming the the setup and the makeup of his of his church. But also too we we always have to remember that after Christ's resurrection he spent 40 days with the apostles discussing and teaching them how the church was to be set up and how the church was to be governed and what they were to do. And we don't see or read any of that in the Gospels themselves, other than that it is mentioned that Christ said and did many things with the apostles in the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. So it was primarily during this time that Christ told the apostles what they were to do to establish his church among all nations. Well, question eight flows right from that. How did Jesus Christ thus organize his church? 
Christ organized the church by conferring his power, his divine power, upon the apostles and by sending them to go and preach the gospel, to baptize all nations, and to govern those who were baptized. So you have the the, the very famous quotation of Christ going, going forth, teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And that is the, the basis for the mission of the apostles, that they were commanded by God to go out and to preach the gospel, to baptize, and to rule those who were baptized. And so the, I guess, the general Protestant idea of preaching is to go and pass Bibles around. And I think it's very important to note that Christ did not say, go forth and pass out Bibles to all nations. He said, go teach ye all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And really, the the sacred scriptures, the, the Gospels, were not written until several, even many years after the ascension of Christ. So for a period of a good 20, 25 years, the Gospels were not written. It was all, the, the Catholic faith was spread by word of mouth from the preaching of the apostles. And that's, that's something very important to consider, especially when speaking with Protestants, because they have this notion that all you need is the Bible, and the Gospel will tell you everything that you need to know. All you have to do is read the book. And for many, many years, there was no book. You had to go to the apostles or to the priests, to the bishops, to learn the Gospel. And that is very different from the Protestant idea of how we are supposed to learn faith. It is not something that we can do by ourselves, we need the assistance and the direction of others, and that is the way that Christ set up his church. He wills that we are sanctified through the ministry of others. And so there are there are other quotations here that the book that the book lists as well, such as we have one here that in uh, the Gospel of Saint John chapter twenty, Christ says to the apostles. As the Father hath sent me, I also send you. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. And whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. That is considered to be the institution of the sacrament of confession, which is another mm-hmm. thing I think that mm-hmm. Protestants are not too fond of. And it's right there, that those are the words of Christ, that he has given these men the power to forgive sins. And if we remember back to the incident of St. Mary Magdalene at her conversion, the the Pharisees were all upset with the idea that Christ would say in so many words, your sins are forgiven, because that is something that only God can do. And so here, Christ is imparting that divine power to men for the sake of forgiving sins and sanctifying souls. So that, that is that is a very, very strong point to to pay attention to is that this is very, very clear evidence that Christ wishes 
us to be sanctified through the ministry of his servants, the, the priests and the originally the apostles, but their successors, the priests and bishops as well. And the sins are truly forgiven because that is that is the command of Christ, the promise of Christ. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. They are not just covered or hidden or forgotten by God. They are forgiven. And and that is that is something that Protestants, no matter how much they claim to to believe sacred scripture and believe in the in the the teaching of Christ, that is something that they ignore is that Christ has conferred the power of forgiving sins to his church. And then again it, in uh, the Gospel of St. Matthew, we have a very similar similar quote, Amen, I say to you, whatsoever you shall bind upon earth shall be bound also in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose upon earth shall be loosed also in heaven. And that is from the, the very famous, and we'll get into this, I think, in our next episode in greater detail, but the, the calling of St. Peter and his, essential, essentially his election as the, the head of the church, Christ conferring on him the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven to to make laws which will bind everyone on earth. And those laws that St. Peter makes or that the popes make are binding. And he, Christ is giving the power to, to a man to make a law that will be enforced even in heaven. That, that's a very, very immense power, and it's, it's something very, very solemn. And then the, the final quotation that from uh, St. Luke, chapter 10, He that heareth you, heareth me, and he that despiseth you, despiseth me. So here we have Christ is saying in just so many words that you are my messengers, and if people despise you, and the doctrines that you that you teach, they are really despising me, Christ. And he that heareth you, the the church, the apostles, hears hears Christ. And and that is is very very important to to realize is that the church has been given authority from Christ to teach all nations. Question nine: What do you call the threefold office, which together? with his power, Christ conferred upon the apostles. We call the, this office the, the teaching office, the priestly office, and the pastoral office. And this sort of leads directly into the next question, which I think we'll just go, go right into. <laughs> yes. Uh, in what does the threefold office consist? <laughs> well, it's... For Americans, it's quite really easy to, to understand because it's very analogous to the United States government, which really all governments require that there be a law-making body, a body which interprets these laws, and a body which enforces these laws. And in the United States, unfortunately, they are very clearly distinguished and they get into arguments with each other all of the time. You have the law-making body, which is Congress, and these laws, apparently Congress doesn't know what they meant when they wrote them because these laws are interpreted by the Supreme Court and they are enforced through the power of the president. So you have 
that that threefold office is very distinct in the United States, and there's a great deal of controversy about it. But in the Catholic Church, it's all the same. The the teaching office, the priestly office, and the the pastoral office are all bound up together. It's not three distinct parties or factions fighting back and forth and always arguing with each other. You have just just the Pope is really the, the final say in in everything. And so we have the teaching office of the Church, which consists in the full power to preach divine doctrine, condemn heresies, and to decide controversies. So we have that even is, that is all shown in sacred scripture, in primarily the Acts of the Apostles, that you have the apostles are teaching, and then the apostles also, they condemned heretics. The The Gospel of St. John was primarily written against a heretic who claimed that Christ was not God, was not true God. And so St. John wrote his Gospel to prove and, and to condemn the heretic. And also, St. Paul, in his epistles, goes so far as to say that if if someone is in sin and he is to be brought to the, to the church and the, the, the church will tell him that, that he is wrong and that he must repent, but if he doesn't repent, let him be anathema. And that, that is a, a, very, a very Catholic term. Most of the time that's not used anymore. But to be anathema is to be completely and entirely cut off. It's as if, in a sense, you didn't exist. You you are less than nothing in in our eyes when you are anathematized. And so the apostles themselves condemned heresies and excommunicated people, and also they decided religious controversies. If you recall in, in the Acts of the Apostles, there is the Council of Jerusalem, and at that council, the apostles all gathered together, and the question was put to them whether or not the the Christians, the, the Catholics, were still bound to obey all of the the practical legal observances of the Mosaic Law. So the to live as Jews lived, so not to eat pork or not to uh, to to wash their hands, so however, however many times that certain things are unclean, and that there were all of these minute legal observances that they that the Jews observed, out of the virtue of religion, yes, but it was not truly necessary. The idea of circumcision or uh, fasting according to the Mosaic law and worshiping in the temple. Those things, the observance of the Jewish law was was put to the apostles as a question, is it necessary for the pagans, the Gentiles who convert to Christianity, to observe all of these practices of the Mosaic law? And the apostles decided. They decided that no, it is not necessary. And their authority was final. That was the the end of, so to speak, the controversy of whether the the Gentiles were sort of a lesser grade of Christian because they, they weren't Jewish and they weren't observing 
all of the the legal procedures of the the Mosaic law. And so we, we see in, even in the Acts of the Apostles these these three office these three functions of the teaching office. And then on to the, the priestly office, which is the the full power to offer the sacrifice of the mass, to administer the sacraments, to consecrate and to bless. So the the power to offer the sacrifice of the mass is really the the primary duty of a priest is to to offer the sacrifice of the mass, and this comes from the words of Christ do this in commemoration of me at the Last Supper, that he has transformed the bread and wine into his body and blood, and in anticipation, at the time it was in anticipation, but now it is in commemoration and remembrance of, continuation of, the sacrifice of the cross. And so that that is the, the priestly office, is to offer sacrifice. You can't have a priest who doesn't offer sacrifice. That Those two terms are are so intrinsically connected, so deeply connected, that there is there is no priesthood without a sacrifice. And unfortunately, I have to make another reference to the Novus Ordo at this point, is that the Novus Ordo does not really have a sacrifice. They have an institution narrative, a commemorative supper of the Last Supper. And there is no idea of sacrifice in, in the Novus Ordo. And so to have a quote-unquote priest without the idea of a sacrifice is, is absurd because the only reason to have a priest is to offer sacrifice. And if there's no sacrifice, there's no reason to have a priest. So the priestly office, the the power to offer sacrifice and the duty of offering the sacrifice of the Mass is, is the the foremost reason to be to be a priest and the foremost duty of a priest. But there are the other sacraments as well, which too come from the command of Christ. We mentioned earlier the institution of the, the sacrament of penance. And that is a duty of the priests, also the other sacraments, uh, baptism. Confirmation is reserved to bishops, but that is that is part of the, the priestly office, and bishops have the, the fullness of the priestly office. So to them is reserved the conferral of confirmation and holy orders. But the priests offer or confer all of the other sacraments, administer the sacraments. They consecrate things and they, they bless things. And for me, at least, I'm, I'm still very, very newly ordained. And part of the ordination ceremony is, is the, the bishop giving the newly ordained priest the, the power to, to consecrate things and to, to bless things. And, and for me, that was a very, very moving part of the ordination ceremony and something that I will remember for a very long time, hopefully forever. But then we, we move on to the pastoral office, and it's something that is always brought up at the seminary is that it is a pastoral office and not a pastoral office. Pastoral having to do with nice scenic countryside views and lots of sheep. Pastoral is, is the, the, the office that is, that is uh, given to the church. And it is, in a sense, similar to pastoral because there's a great, there's a great deal of shepherding involved. But there are no, uh, at least there's, there's no shearing of the sheep on a regular basis in the pastoral office of priests. And so this pastoral office is the, the full power to rule the church which includes, of course, to make laws and inflict punishments. So 
this again, if if you remember the quotations of sacred scripture that we mentioned earlier, that whatever the apostle, whatever you shall bind upon earth shall be bound also in heaven, or whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. That is part of the the pastoral office is to to rule the church, to to make decisions, and to to make laws and and as, as we said to inflict punishments. So you have the idea of an excommunication, which goes back even to the time of Saint Paul. There there was an excommunication that Saint Paul mentions in his one of his epistles. I believe it's to the Corinthians because it was dealing with a particular Corinthian who was excommunicated. And that, that is part of the pastoral offices to enforce discipline. Yes, Father. So uh, I think we're out of time on this episode. As we close out this episode, we have started to cover the form of the government of the church. And I want to thank Father Eldrocker for his time and being with us on this episode. Um, is there anything else, uh, Father, you would like to add in summary before we close out our episode? I think this time, uh, I think there is nothing really to add other than that we will be back. <laughs> There's much more to cover. <laughs> well, once again, Father, thank you for your time, and we'll talk to you again next time as we continue this series. God bless you. God bless you, too. If you have any questions about anything you heard today on today's episode, please email questions at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that This is Catholicism is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio, All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful, and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Jason Guardiano. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.